Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hey, hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much. Oh, oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm so excited. So this week, over the three days from recording to everybody listening, it's supposed to snow a lot. So I have high hopes for a... I tried snowing today and yesterday. It, it threatened a little bit, came down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's attempting. Yeah. Puddles in my backyard are starting Keep to Keep on it, Mother over. Nature. You'll get to have it. <laughs> you can do it. You, you can, can do, do it. it. You can yeah. do it. Today's the first day walking into work that I said, oh, I got to find my gloves. <laughs> I was walking the dog at six o'clock this morning. Yeah. Oh, kind of. kind of chilly out yeah, here today. Yeah. Need more than the hat now. Has some chill to it. Mind you, on Sunday, 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 Sunday. Uh, we, I was outside barbecuing burgers. Bacon cheeseburgers on the barbecue. Bacon cheeseburgers for breakfast. It was about zero degrees. Maybe, I think it might have been like minus one degree Celsius, somewhere in there. And I was in my shorts, my <laughs> t-shirt, out there cooking burgers. Why not? Welcome to Canada, folks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Headlamp on, because you know it's dark this time. Yeah, I know. <sighs> I get to work in the dark and I leave work in the dark. It's very yeah. sad. Yeah. Hey, what's the weather like out there? Dark? <laughs> yeah, it's just dark. I, I don't know. It's dark. Yeah. Yeah. It is the time of year. Yeah. But uh, we got a number of things to go on today. One of them is something, a big one that happened to me on the weekend. And uh, we got to go through a couple of letters we received. Letters. We got letters. We did. We never did figure out what show. It's Perry Cuomo, but it's... You said it was on his TV show? No, no, not his. It wasn't, I don't like think it was on show? his. It was like Letterman or a kid's show or something. They would sing. It's time to open letters from, from our listeners and they'd sing We Got Letters. And just, I just, we, me and Sean looked and looked and looked. Yeah, and then, I, like, we, we actually could have started recording an hour and a half ago, but we got distracted by well, the <laughs> So, anybody that was living in the 70s, uh, a kid in the 70s, especially in Canada, uh, the hilarious House, House of Frightenstein yes, yes. with Billy Van. That's what I thought it was from, yeah. but it turns out it was not. But no. then we got into and a then whole we, bunch of- Oh, we got down a rabbit hole following all the characters. <laughs> yeah. and we, Only one guy, the guy that played Super Hippie. Yes. Uh, Mark And he only Markovitz. had a minor Dave role. Markovitz? Yeah. Mar- Markovitz? Something like that. He only had a, yeah, a minor, minor role. Minor role, yeah. And uh, but Billy Van and Philip uh, Reyes uh, was born in South Africa. He played Igor Philip Fishka Reyes. Fishka, yeah, he's known nice. as Fishka. Born in South Africa, he's he's known for his um, character on Cannibal Women, a 1973 classic. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and playing Igor. Yeah. From 71 to 74. Yeah. He died at 54 years of age. 53 years of age. He was a big age. man. Yeah. Big, big boy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we went <laughs> Vincent Price and yeah. all of that. We went, yeah, we went down a massive rabbit hole <laughs> just to find, because you mentioned getting letters, letters. in this Perry Como song. And, yeah. Yeah, we went down a rabbit hole from there. So, so. anyways, you got letters. Yeah. <laughs> Squirrel, what? <laughs> <laughs> we could have been on your way home already. I know. I could be done already. Oh, <laughs> uh, and here it is, 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, it's going to start snowing soon. Let's get this done. Alrighty. <laughs> uh, well, might as well start with one of them. From one of our newer listeners, Joe Tobin sent us a message. Hello, Sean and Derek. I can very much sympathize. I'm not even going to be able to speak now. Sympathize with the trouble you are experiencing with air mattresses. I am a serving member of the Canadian Army, and over the last 24 years, I have spent many nights on terrible air mattresses. About 10 years ago, I purchased a Mech Reactor air mattress, and it changed my life. I use the Reactor 6.5 when I'm in the field for work, but when I go camping with my own or on my own or with family, I bring out the Reactor 10. I do a two-week trip in Algonquin every year, base camping on Lake Traverse, and I only blow this thing up once, still has air two weeks later. That's incredible. Right? It's incredible. So, I thought I would take a little peeky-boo at this baby. Uh, he says, don't give up on a real sleep in the woods. Give it a try. Even if it's a bit bulky, I won't go on a trip without it. Well worth the space even on the Portage Trail. So that got me thinking, mm, bulky? How bulky, bulky can- is it? Because yeah, <laughs> my thing is, I've been looking at air mattresses that are smaller. Mm-hmm. Like don't take up as much well, room. Well, that, that's right? generally the way everybody has been going for the past, you know, However, because we're getting decades. older. Well, yeah, but it's not just that. Everybody is uh, like Peter. Peter is always oh, heading the ultra, for lighter, ultra lighter, 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 lighter. and he, he just canoe trippers. Peter yeah. Remain just blows my mind that he can. Yeah, I, I'd have a sixty-pound pack, and he'd be like twenty-six pounds. It's like he's got a package of oatmeal and an extra <laughs> pair of underwear. That's all <laughs> that's know. in his pack: oatmeal and underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and uh, Grant, he's pretty good at it. He's got his pack down, lightweight and stuff. And my packs are still heavy because I bring a lot of extra stuff. Mm-hmm. But because I bring extra stuff, I try and buy light stuff as possible so I can carry the extra stuff. Right. Right. Anyways, this here mattress, it's the MEC Ractor 10. It's, for some reason, it's labeled as unisex. I'm not sure I understand that part of it. But anyways, it's... um. It's a it's a fairly large air mattress. It's like four inches thick, which is great for. I'm a side sleeper. I like mm-hmm. sli- sleeping. Well, and see, that's why I got. I was getting away from that little inch, three quarter inch one I ha- yeah. I've been using to one that's a couple of inches. Yeah, thick, something for your hips right? to sink into. And this one's yeah, four inches thick. Yeah. Um. Or in Canadian, it's ten centimeters thick. Ten centimeters. Extra wide and long. Open cell foam. It's rectangle shaped. It's not a mummy bag or a mummy uh, shaped. 94 centimeters or 37 inches long when rolled up. That's the part that's like, uh, yeah, six pounds and 37 inch long tube Yeah, when it's rolled up. It, it, on the MEC website, it shows it next to a MEC water bottle and the MEC water bottle, it's it's like four water bottles tall. <laughs> yeah, so four one liter four Nalgene's, Nalgene's tall. tall. So that's yeah. <laughs> uh, deflate valve and pump sack. It is seventy eight inches by thirty one inches when blown up. R value of six point three, and five and three quarters pounds or 2.6 kilograms. Yeah, it's almost it's, six pounds. It's got some heft to it. But if yeah. you value your comfort when sleeping and you know what, if it's, so it's 50 denier polyester top bottom is 75. So it's thick. It's not going to poke mm-hmm. or 
leak and thick material like that, if it's properly radio welded, it's not going to leak in the seams. So you are sacrificing weight for comfort. And it is labeled a front country camping. You need your sleep. Yeah. So uh, MEC labels it ideal for front country camping. Yeah. So yeah. So if you're car camping, whatever, but you know what? If if it's not going to leak, I don't know. I'd strap it to the outside of the pack and well see and that's the other thing is over the years i have gotten to the point where i don't strap anything to the outside of my pack everything goes in except for when i'm doing a portage my life jacket yeah uh if i yes. have a small fishing net yeah. a water bottle that'll get strapped to the outside but i remember when i first started like my my tent would be strapped to the outside, and a chair would be strapped to the outside, and <laughs> yeah. an axe would be trapped uh, strapped to stuff the outside. Stuff you didn't care if it got wet. Yeah, and over the years, I've gotten rid of some of this stuff and it's made it late, smaller, lighter, or and lighter, smaller, and and everything fits in my yeah, pack. Yeah, so I don't. I try not to keep it. Plus, when when you get your pack, you can just throw it right in your canoe. It fits perfectly. Yeah. If there's nothing strapped yeah. to it, right? Hmm. So. But, like you say, if you don't have a good sleep when you're on a good backcountry trip, on a long backcountry trip, that sleep is important. And what's interesting, too. So, what's more important? Other than sleep? Sleeping or weight? As little weight as possible. Uh, I value sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. After, like, if I, if I have, like, one bad night of sleep, it's like, yeah, whatever. I'll get, I'll get over but it. But two weeks. Two weeks where you lose sleep a little bit every night, you, you kind of start getting grumpy after a while. It's like, you know, you get tired of sleeping on rocks and twigs and you get tired of the discomfort and your back sore. And, and it's like, well, I'm really tired, but I can't lay down anymore because it hurts to lay down. And, mm-hmm. and well, it hurts to lay down, but now it hurts to get up. And it's like, I have to go and, and cut, crawl around on my hands and knees until my back can handle me standing up and... But see, I, I didn't old man get complaints in, here. I didn't get into <laughs> sleeping pads until mid forties. Yeah, and everybody else, was, I had no clue. Everybody was using sleeping pads. Yeah, and here I am, just put my sleeping bag right in the bottom of my tent. Yeah, and they're like, "Well, why don't you get a sleeping?" I've pad? always used some form of sleeping pad. No, not me. Not like until forever. The only times I've never used this, like I on. The one if you could trail on Vancouver Island, I remember sleeping on a beach a couple times, and it's like I didn't use a sleeping bag; I just slept on it. Like the, the the sand, the tent was on the sand, but I was on the tent bottom, and yeah. it was just no mattress. That's what I used to do, and it was like on sand. It's nice; you can just wiggle your hips and sink your hip in the sand, and you're you're in your comfort mold zone. the ground to exactly. your body. Yeah, I did that for till my forties. Yeah, and had no problems with it, and then. Well, I went down the stairs over one of our cats and ended up with back problems ever <laughs> since then. And somebody said, get it a sleeping yeah, pad. Yeah. So I went and got a sleeping pad and, ooh, this is much better. I always had those really thin blue pads starting out. Oh, the little uh, foamies. The f- blue foam. Yeah. We used to put those under our sleeping bags winter camping. Yeah. And Yes. Yeah. And uh, then I upgraded to a, a high-density yellow foam pad which mostly was for winter camping because it was really good winter insulation and i got one of those egg crate yellow one side silver the other for winter camping and mm-hmm. stuff and uh i bought my first mec pad it was only like i didn't even think it was an inch thick 
But it was like a Thermarest. Maybe it was yeah. a Thermarest. I think I got a Thermarest. Yeah, the orange first, ones? First inflatable. And uh, But yeah, it, it's now I'm like, come on, there's got to be a six rating stick air mattress here <laughs> <or> somewhere. <laughs> it's one of those big heavy duty ones that you, you can either use at the bottom of your tent or out on the lake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've done that. I've floated on lakes on air mattresses before. It's yeah. like, hey, this will be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. Well, out of 32 reviews... One person had a deflating issue. Yeah, with this, but twenty nine gave it a five, gave it five stars. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. So it's got a good review. So yeah. maybe next time I'm at Mech, I'll check one out. Yeah, I yeah for for something of that size and weight, I, I definitely want to hold it in my hands and go. Hmm, maybe buy a stuff sack for a waterproof one and yep. attach it to the outside. Yeah. Something to protect it. it so it doesn't snag on branches or whatever. Yeah. Or, Rub on the side of the canoe and wear a hole through it if there's well, sand. Well, and if, it, if it's raining, you don't want to be throwing a wet no, sleeping pad into no, your tent no. either. And then but yeah, so but but so the, so the the pack stuff sack would serve two purposes. It would protect it from getting holes as well. Mm-hmm. It would keep it dry. Yeah, somewhat. Two hundred fifty bucks at Mac. Hmm. These other ones I was buying with three hundred and fifty bucks for single use. Yeah, for single <laughs> three hundred and fifty bucks per use. <laughs> single yeah. use mattress. That sounds like a deal. <laughs> I'll take four. Uh, thanks, Joe, for that uh, email. I think we'll uh, yeah take a trip to Mech and give it a looky looky loo there. Yeah. The second one email we got from uh, one of our listeners, Marty Heater. Uh, hello, Sean and Derek. I thought you might be interested in reading about Missy Kenyon. Sadly, she passed away after a brief illness, leaving behind a legacy of promoting paddling on the Detroit River waterway and helping others in her community. I did not know uh, Ms. Ms. Kenyon, but learned of her through a Facebook page that I follow, Paddling Michigan Lakes and Rivers. Musician Missy Kenyon, a uh, Gross Point Park philanthropist who introduced thousands of Detroiters and global visitors to kayaking, on the Detroit River and built friendships among visionaries in Metro Detroit that changed how many in the city saw what was possible, uh, passed away Wednesday when she was 49. So I got to thinking about this, about the amount of people we know that are big into uh, promoting paddle sports and... Um, getting outside on the rivers and the lakes and and doing it more for themselves. It's it's not, like a lot of people like this do it because they enjoy it so much that they want other people to enjoy mm-hmm. it. So it's 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 one of those altruistic. It's like you're doing it for other people. You're doing it because you enjoy it, and you know it's not like it's your job. It's you just want to promote it. Yeah, and you get to you know I mean. They, they, I mean, like, look at you and I, we got into this, we started doing the ABR because we wanted to help out with exactly. Algonquin Park yep. and, you know, make sure it's we good saw, for paddlers. We saw the damage and, that was going on in the back country of Algonquin mm-hmm. and we wanted to do something about it. Yeah. And now, you know, uh, this got to be 10, 11 years later. Yeah, that was, uh. We're, we're now doing this podcast for the past yeah. almost eight years. Yeah. Promoting paddle sports mm-hmm. and everywhere. Um, but you, you, you see the people that just enjoy doing it and from little basically humble beginnings, 
hey, let's get you out here and do this. And next thing you know, X amount of years later, yeah. you got all these people and uh, this lady was one of them. You know, promoting it, especially Detroit. Like, how many people you you? It's, when you think Detroit, you don't think of paddles. you really don't think of yeah. paddling, right? Yeah. Uh, Kenyan co-owner of Detroit Outpost Outfitters in Greyhaven State Harbor was diagnosed with spindle cell sarcoma, an extremely aggressive and rare form of cancer that ravaged her body, and took her from the world just f- in just five weeks. Oh. Wife of John Roberts Kenyon and mother of two died at home surrounded by family. In the weeks prior, kayakers and paddleboarders posted messages of love and social media with the hashtag paddles out for Missy and images of paddles lit with holiday lights. Words of her condition spread quickly. Messages uh, papered Facebook sites from Metro Detroit and as far away as Australia saying the world wouldn't feel quite the same again. So right there, it tells you how much of a, an effect she had on the paddling community yes. in Detroit, right? And and beyond. Most notably, Kenyon had been described as a magical force who worked to introduce strangers and build strong communities, particularly between Gross Point and Detroit. She helped people overcome their fear of water and introduce them to its beauty, friends said. Missy has left an indelible wake for everyone, said Jason McGuire, 47, CEO and operator of Riverside Marina in Detroit. Kayaks don't leave wakes. Wakes are what happen when you go through the water pretty fast and it leaves a ripple. Kayaks don't do that. But Missy, her life, did that. She was an advocate for getting people of all different backgrounds and cultures out paddling on the water, McGuire said. She was extreme about you being super close to the water and taking in nature. Most African Americans, especially here in Detroit, are power boaters. She brought a whole different view and would say, I get so many people who are of African American descent getting on kayaks and going out. Missy made everyone feel welcome. This has hit me so hard. My wife asked, why does this happen to someone so special? Kenyon and her husband celebrated their 15th wedding anniversary in August. They met at Dino's Lounge in Ferndale, where Kenyon was tending bar. Their first date was a whitewater rafting trip. Roberts Kenyon said, She used to go whitewater rafting with all these bikers in Pennsylvania on the border of West Virginia. I'd never been whitewater rafting, and I was debating, what was I getting into? (laughs) So it was her that brought her husband into this. Growing up, Kenyon would come home from school without a coat because she gave it to someone who didn't have one. Uh, she later left home in St. Clair, Clair Shores to attend Oak Creek Ranch School in Cornville, Arizona, where she taught horseback riding as therapy. For nearly a, a decade, Janelle David of Gross Point joined her close friend to kayak once a week on the Detroit River through spring, summer, and fall. Groups of mostly women also paddled the 20-plus miles from Lake St. Clair to Lake Erie, she said, and Missy would take people out paddling under the moon just to watch the stars. We are creating new clusters of a community with musicians, singers, athletes, politicians, and community volunteers, Davis says. Kenyon founded the Detroit Outpost in 2015, where she led kayaking excursions throughout the canals of Detroit, Detroit River, Belle Isle, and Pesh Island. She wanted all people to have access to the water, learn about Detroit waterway history, architecture, and lore. People from all around the world have kayaked with her. 
Missy opened her arms to everyone and made you feel as if you were the only one. She would say yes and do whatever needed to be done, especially for the underdog, says Lila Lazarus, a longtime friend and Detroit TV personality from Orchard Lake. She had an open door, open heart policy, and she saw the magic in everyone. Kenyon will be interred in family property near Tawas during a private ceremony on December 1st. The family says in January, friends and family will host a big celebration of life and fundraiser to help offset medical costs. She said, I want a pie eating contest. I want bounce house and a mariachi (laughs) band. I like her just for that. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Kenyon's death has left a gaping hole in the community. David said, adding, the only way to move forward is to look for her in the sunsets and the sunrises. Hmm. So apparently she was, I mean, a driving I've, force never heard of her. I've never yeah, heard of her until yeah. till I got this yeah. email. Uh, driving force for the paddling community. In Detroit, definitely getting yeah. people interested in it, getting people there. And like I say, it, it, it starts to make you think like these people are out there. How many, yeah. how many other Missy Kenyans are out there? Yeah. You know, in their towns across around the world that mm-hmm. are pushing and getting people interested and getting them out there. And I mean, we've talked about how kayak sales and stand up paddle. Like Who do we know? Alan Drummond. Alan Drummond's out there getting people out there all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, we'll be talking about Alan a little later, too. Uh, he's out there getting people into the yep. kayaking and whatnot, get them out there and, you know, have some fun and, you know, Jeez. make sure you're trying to feel comfortable yep. in that. But it makes you think, what happens when the big-name proponents of paddle sports disappear? I mean, you got guys like Cliff Jacobson, who's, yep. what, 197 now? <laughs> Something like that? Um, what happens when these guys who, you know, they're the gurus. They Paddling gurus. Yes. You know, they're, they're the ones, the driving force, the original guys mm-hmm. really getting this going sort of stuff and keeping it going. Yeah. You can only hope that there's enough people left behind that have the same drive and passion to carry on to that carry mission. to carry it on and and carry on the push for yeah, for paddle sports, exactly. right? Um, yeah, you know, like none of us are getting younger, nope. and unfortunately, things like this uh, things like this happen, and hopefully, there's somebody in in Detroit that's gonna carry on, grab uh, the torch, and run yeah, with it. Yep, yeah, keep Missy's. Um, dream of going and hopefully it all all keeps uh, going mm-hmm. and works out. exactly yeah so uh marty uh thanks for this uh email yeah very very interested in this one uh, an unfortunate uh ending but uh hopefully it all keeps going um just to sort of keep on the i don't want to say negative uh you <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I called this one "Panic at the Disco." <laughs> Whose song? Who's that song by? I think it's a band. "Panic at the Disco." Yeah, isn't "Panic at the Disco" a band? I didn't realize it was just a song. Why wouldn't we have looked this up beforehand? I don't know. I just know it's. <laughs> I got radio stations, different SM radio stations, playing all the time, and I hear "Panic at the Disco." I'm sure it's a band. It's a pop band. Yeah. What's one of their biggest hits? Uh. You, you'd probably know it to hear it. Oh, probably. Uh, House of Memories? Death of a Bachelor? Yeah, see, and that's the other thing is I don't pay attention to names of songs. I just know the songs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so John Brower, our friend John, uh, kayaking buddy. We He's 10 minutes from my house. 
we go uh, out uh, Dufferin's Creek in the Lake Ontario and up the creek paddling. Sends me a message saying, hey, Saturday morning, uh, looks like it's going to be a good time to go paddle. I'm thinking to go Cherry Beach. Interested? So I did my due husband diligence and uh, checked with Tracy. Said, uh, what's happening Saturday? She goes, nothing. Can I go canoe or kayaking? And she goes, I don't care. So we figured we would paddle out to Toronto Islands. Looked like it was going to be a nice day for it. Temp starting at about minus one, finishing at around plus three Celsius. Plan was to meet down at Cherry Beach for 8 a.m. and spend the day paddling around the islands, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, there's a couple places that I wanted to check out and do some photography while we were there. So it is dry suit weather, so I uh, got some warm layers on to keep warm underneath it and grabbed my camera gear, my tripod, my snacks, my water, and that was the plan. Yeah. Then Saturday morning happened. All excited to go. Woke up in a good mood. All right, woo-woo, let's go. Now, just a couple of notes here. I've paddled my kayak with my dry suit on a few times. Nothing new. I've paddled in cold water and in November before. Nothing new. Getting ready to go. My roof rack had some issues. I've never had issues with my roof rack. I had to take one of the latches totally apart and put it all back together so it would latch properly. Like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that put me 15 minutes behind schedule. Putting the kayak on the roof. I've never had a problem putting the kayak on the roof. Front end slipped off, bounced off my mirror onto the ground. Hmm. No damage. Yeah. But like, again, like, what the hell? Yeah. Right? Grabbed my tripod. And it wasn't until I realized that I was driving, I was mentally going through my checklist. What did I forget? What did I forget? I grabbed my wrong tripod. I grabbed my old broken tripod because mm-hmm. I'm used to grabbing this one tripod bag. Yeah. I've got a newer tripod bag. Mm-hmm. I just automatically had to have it grab the old tripod bag. I'm like, because I needed a tripod for some of the photos I wanted to do. Yeah. And this one's broken. <sighs> um, when you are putting your dry suit on in a parking lot or something. You stay out of the gravel. You put a pad, a little carpet. So mm-hmm. I got this little plaid, red and black plaid carpet I put down, and I stand on that. Forgot it. <laughs> um, there was a ton, absolute ton of construction around Cherry Beach. My GPS was taking me the wrong way, telling me to do U-turns. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so expect that it's going to be a good half hour early. At the end of it, I end up being 10 minutes late. Uh, the regular parking and launch area closed for the season. So we had a park next to the dog leash area and not a, that wasn't a big deal. I mean, still there is a beach there. It's a bit rocky or not all sandy. Uh, so not a great start to the day, but nothing outrageous. So I get to the parking lot. I meet John. We had a little chit chat. We get our gear down to the lake. We get our dry suits on uh, packed our little bit of gear into our kayaks, ready to go. Waves weren't that big, maybe a half foot, if that. Uh, there's a small breeze, nothing I haven't paddled in before. John launched first, I followed, I got about 30 feet out, got my spray skirt on, and then it happened. All I can describe it as is a huge panic attack. Oh, yeah. 
everything in my being was telling me to get off the water. Hmm. I couldn't get back to shore and out of that boat fast enough. I thought I was going to go over at one point. Yeah. I could not get there. I've never in 30 plus years of paddling ever had that feeling getting into a boat before. Everything I was doing, I've done before. Um, I can't explain what it was, but I couldn't paddle and I couldn't be in the kayak. I had problems breathing. Just everything was get out yeah. of this boat. I got back, walked around a little bit, just calmed myself down. And I even took John's Delta out thinking, okay, well, maybe mine's just a bit tippy today or something mm-hmm. or whatever. Took his out a little bit, still felt like, no, What no, were the water no. conditions? A little bit breezy, a little bit of wave. Big, there's probably like 30 feet between each wave. Like so nothing. Pretty much flat. It was, yeah, it was, it was a great day for paddling. It wasn't hmm. horrendous. Nothing I've not paddled in a billion times before. Yeah. But something was telling me, do not go out on that water. Hmm. Get out of this boat. Get out now. Uh, and, and eventually, you know what? I just uh, called it, we called it a day. Yeah. So I was, I was on the water for maybe 10 minutes, 15 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Probably 10 minutes. Um, very disappointed that we didn't get to where we wanted to go. Sucked that it was not our usual five minutes down the road location. <laughs> it, was 40, it was about 45 minutes that's from dumb, my house yeah. to Cherry Beach. Dumpest Same with John. like right? 10 minutes away. Yeah. If that's going to happen, I hope it's just down the road where I can just, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. whatever. Uh, disappointed myself. I still don't understand what happened and why. Um, John was fully understanding, had no problems calling it a day. So I chatted with Kevin Callum and Alan Drummond okay. later that night. Because, you know... If you've read uh, Kevin Callan's memoir, um, he even says that he's dealt with anxiety his entire life. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd send him a message going, hey, here's what happened today. Like, I've never experienced anything like this. And, you know, have you? Yeah. And I even sent John uh, Allen, who's, you know, in my opinion, Mr. Kayak yep, Guru. Exactly. Um, and both of them did say, you know, you made the right cho- a choice. Oh, absolutely. Choice um, for safety's sake, calling yeah. it a date. Yeah, don't force it. I wonder how many people force it that get in themselves into a bad situation. Right. Um, Alan did say that I had gone with the right person mm-hmm. that day because there's others that would have no, we're going. tried to pressure or guilt yeah. me into continuing. Yeah. Try again, that's try again. when things happen. Mm-hmm. That's when things go south. Um, I had, now I know this time of year you, you usually want to be paddling in partners because of the cold water yeah, conditions and stuff. It's not good to be alone. You know, so I fully, if John wanted to go bopping around, you know, the area where we were and stuff like that, I was there yeah. sort of to keep an eye on sort of thing. But, uh, he said, no, let's, let's head on back and put our stuff away and then maybe go, go grab a beer when the, uh, one of the breweries here opens mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Uh, a couple of more notes here about this. I have a fear of water due to a couple near drownings when I was younger, which doing what I do, people look at me like, what? <laughs> right? Yeah. 
I enjoy being on the water. No, I do not like being in the water. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for the water. Mm-hmm. I have been in wave conditions before that made the conditions on Saturday look glassier than glass. Yeah. You know, I've been on uh, canoe trips where I go to, I'm in the bow and I go to put my paddle in. And there's in, no water there. There's no water. There's no water beneath <laughs> You're so below me, yeah. you know, like, you know, like three, four feet down is the water. Yeah. And, and just comes slamming down and the water's coming up over the bow and all yeah. that. And I've had no problems doing any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done that both solo and tandem. Yeah. So I don't understand what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, my takeaways are, you know, I'm going to head back out, Yeah, you know, uh, closer to home, uh, just to see what happens. <laughs> you know, I'm not going 45 minute hour drive again. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, get back on that horse and, you know, go see, go see what happens. Uh, we do joke about safety third all the time. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. we do practice safety first. Yes. You know, we're a couple of jokers, so we up oh, safety third, but we do practice safety first. And uh, the way I was feeling, safety said, um, "Yeah, you're you're not going out on mm-hmm. on that water at all today." So you know, throw everything back in, and it's a pain in the arse. But it doesn't matter how experienced you are if you are uncomfortable in a paddling situation. Get out of it. You can always come back another day. Exactly. Yeah. I've been paddling for close to 35 years now. Yeah. Long enough and to know that there's always going to be another day to get out there. Yeah. You know, I've done a few dumb things in my time, but um, nothing nothing really prepared me for what happened on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. I've always I've always looked at situations I've been in and gone, okay, if something happens, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. But okay, yeah, we looked out there, you know, well, we got to make it across the lake. Well, here's how we're going to go. And you make your plan and you stick to it. And if things go south, you've got your exit strategy, that sort of thing, you know. Um, but there was no real plan to be, have to be made. Yes. You know, yeah. it was, okay, well, there's the lake. We're just going to paddle. Yeah, exactly. There's no goal. There's it's no, a recreational yeah. leisure paddle. Mm-hmm. There was nothing dramatic. There was nothing life-threatening. There was nothing. Yeah. I, I, it bought, and I've been sitting there, and it's been keeping me awake at nights. What? Yeah, what's like, going on? What? What happened? I looked at the news <laughs> that night. Uh, to see if anything had happened out on the water while we were supposed to be out there. And there was nothing. Yeah. Now, we're going around the Toronto Islands where there's Billy Bishop Airport. I fully expected to see a news article saying, a plane took off today at Billy Bishop Airport and the front landing gear fell off and smashed a kayaker <laughs> right in the head. And I figure, well, that could have been me. <laughs> that was the universe telling me, yeah. no, stay home, have a coffee and a poop. Don't yeah. go in the water. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was nothing. But you know, sometimes I, I think, in, and so for example, you hear about uh, somebody gets to the airport, they're about to get on the plane, they say, 
nope, not today. Right. It's like, what? You bought a ticket. Nope, nope, not going, not today. And that plane crashes or something. It's like, well, what was the, what was the thing in the back of their mind? And, and so I, I thought about this since I, I, you sent this to me and I was thinking, you know what? There's enough little wonky things that happened that day that it got into your head that there's going to be another. It's like, Things usually come in threes, but in your case that day, or they're coming in nines, right? Well, that's exactly like I've never slipped a canoe or kayak off, off the, the top roof. of yep. my roof. Yeah. Why all of a sudden, after ten years, does this roof rack? Yeah. Decide it's going to not function properly. Yeah. So I've got to take it apart. Yeah. And so in the back of your head, all those little things are like, oh, the universe is sending me a message. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's in, in the back of your head. You just gotta. You may not even consciously think about it. It's just the back of your brain is saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" There's been a lot of wonky things happening today. They're little things. They mean nothing. They really mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. But, but, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I have been well known and documented. I get into fight with inanimate objects, oh. <laughs> and usually the inanimate objects Loses. lose. <laughs> I will break you. <laughs> I can buy another tripod. Don't right? test me. Right? Um, all right. This tripod looks good in the middle of that lake over there. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, and and we we had talked about that. Well, maybe it was all these little things just mm. built up and built up, and you're frustrated. Yeah. But I wasn't frustrated with all these little things. But but they because were they on were your mind. Fixed and, and whatnot, right? They were on your mind. But I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, like they they wouldn't have been a conscious that I'm frustrated now to get yeah. out there. You know what? I don't even want to paddle now. Because mm-hmm. you know, you get yourself all built up and now you're just pissed off yeah, about this something. This isn't ready anymore. I'm done. I'm just going back home. <laughs> I'm taking I'm, my ball and going yeah, home. <laughs> yeah, because I'm probably going to run somebody over on the highway today <laughs> just because. Yeah, and it wasn't anything like that. It was just I sat in the boat. It's comfortable. Got my spray skirt on. Was pushing off, and then all of a sudden, just got this feeling: no, yeah. don't, nope, get out today. of this boat. Yeah. Get out of this boat now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, all of a sudden, I was having problems breathing, and I could not get out of that boat hmm. fast enough. Yeah, and it's basically I was almost tipping it over because I could still put my arm down and touch the bottom. Yeah, and basically, I had one hand on the bottom, and I was. Getting out of my my kayak sideways, I was in that much of a hurry to get out of my hmm. boat. Yeah, I'm like, wow! It's like I've never had a panic, and even regular, I don't have panic attacks. Yeah, yeah. you know, I can't remember the last time I ever felt like that. Mm-hmm. But isn't it strange, eh? Like your body, your mind was telling you something. Mm-hmm. Dun dun dun. I know it's strange, eh? I would be really interested in hearing if anyone else has ever had that kind of event happen to them. Right out of the blue, no warning, and no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. Something ever, even if like backcountry trip or something, and you're looking out there and something's like, you know what, I'm taking a rest day today. I haven't had, uh, yeah, I'd like to hear anybody out there too. I think this is a this is a good conversation starter. I'd like to hear from, we both would like to hear people tell us your story and tell us what preceded an event like this for you. Like what happened? You got out of it. Did anybody push themselves on and ended up in a tough spot? Like I'm curious. Like this is. I, I'd, I'd like to hear a few stories here. 
Well, you know, it's, it's send us a note, send us whatever. I, I'm curious. I'm curious how people get beyond this. Like, did you get back on the water in a week or two? Did it was it? Did it kind of hang over your head for a while? I'm I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Really curious. One one incident for myself. It's not paddling related, but it's similar. Is uh, just it wasn't too long ago. It was only about uh, I think it was 2018 or tw- I think it was 2019. I went on. Uh, I went with a a a, group, a buddy of mine from work. His entire family at that time were going up to Tobermory every year and going on a scuba diving week. And uh, and so this scuba diving week, he he said, "Hey, you want to join us?" Uh, so we, me and the kids and Siobhan, and they didn't scuba dive, but I did. And uh, and so it was it was just a week of scuba diving where we hit a lot of spots and and then the one day it was on a charter so it was the it was the first time i had gone from a boat and it was it was uh it was the first dive of the day and i'd already had like eight or so dives that week and uh it was wasn't anything different or unusual I, I got up. I was excited. We, you know, went over the safety stuff and uh, stops because we knew the depth. We knew what we we're going to be diving on, and uh, I just plopped in, fell over backwards, and and went into the water and hovered there for a bit. Chatted with my dive partner, and and we went down. and uh, And as soon as we, I was underwater. It's it just felt breathing felt weird. I was like breathing really fast and shallow. It's like, oh, what's going on? So I, I just quickly popped to the top and blew out the regulator. It's like, oh, that was weird. That was funny. I just felt like I couldn't get air. And so I breathed on the regulator on the surface for a bit and then went down again. And I couldn't get down past 15 feet and I had to go back to the top. My buddy came up again. He's like, well, what's going on? Is there something wrong with the regulator? I said, no, something's wrong with me. And so I said, okay, let's try one more time. I want to see if I can touch the bottom. So we quickly dropped, went to the bottom. It was only about 30 or 40 feet deep. And it, you know, the, we, the curve, it was the depth most, the deepest part was, I think, 80 feet. Anyways, I, I got to the bottom and I just could not regulate my breathing. And I just felt like my eyes were going to pop out of my head. And, and we did a, a quick, uh, surfacing again. I was only down for like a minute. And, uh, I just was like, I was trying to breathe as shallow as possible because I didn't want to get too much oxygen in my system because then wouldn't be able to dive at all. And, and, and in the end I said, no, you're going to have to partner up with somebody else because I'm not going in. I said, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. And I was just, I just remember feeling an overwhelming panic about being in the water. Mm-hmm. And so he went, there was a group of, th- he went with a group of two, they became a group of three and I went back on board and. And, uh, the dive charter guy said he sees it once in a while and, and it just, it, he said, it could be anything. It could have been something weird you ate last night and it's just affecting you in a weird way or, or whatever. I never did figure it out. Uh, like I skipped the next group dive and then on the third dive of the day, we dove on a wreck and I was fine. It was completely normal again. So it's not like my regulator was doing something wonky or whatever. It's just that first dive of the day, my brain just says, nope. Not happening. Not happening. I could not force myself to stay underwater. Just I just was full-blown panic. Like, I had air, and I had yep. good air. I had a good tank of air. And uh, it was just something in the back of my head was saying, nope, not today. 
Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. Like, there's nothing new. Mm-hmm. I, I had paddled, what, I guess the month before in my dry suit and everything yeah. in the kayak. Now we've done that in, um, on Lake Ontario closer to home. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, jumped in and boom, off we went for yeah. like four or five hours and all the way back and huh. had a great time. Now, a month later, all of a sudden, yeah. I can't make it, you know, I can't make it 50 feet offshore. Yeah. Strange, eh? Don't know what happened. Don't know. It never, ever, ever happened to me in 35 years of. It makes you wonder, like you hear stories about people who, like we mentioned earlier, people, oh, I was about to get on the plane and I had a full-blown panic attack. And it's like, Mm -hmm. nope, can't fly today. And it's like, so what what is it that gets in the back of somebody's head and, and says, like, when you can't force your brain to let you do something? Right. It's it's weird. It's like there's some kind of maybe this podcast is continuing this week because <laughs> I didn't go paddling. <laughs> if I had gone paddling, yeah. our podcast would have stopped at episode four hundred four, four hundred five, four hundred five, which was a round number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> weird. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna talk to John. We'll get back out on the water there, mm-hmm. and closer, you know, out of out of Duffins Creek here, out of uh, uh, an Ajax yeah. here, and. So just thinking about comparing our two events, like I, I had a wetsuit on, mm-hmm. so they're tight. And I had a, a, a BC on and, and they do kind of fit tight. And we, me and the, the, the boat, charter boat guy, we went over my gear, checked to see tightness and whatever. And, and, uh, on dive weeks, I don't drink. So there's, I wasn't like hung over anything because I don't drink during scuba diving weeks because that's just not smart. And, uh, so there was nothing like that. And so the, the, dive charter guy he asked me a bunch of questions and he says no just sit back relax got some coffee here he fed me some coffee and we chatted and waited for the dive groups to come up and and it's like well what what is it like and i'm thinking you were in a dry suit so mm-hmm. i'm thinking the gussets over your neck and arms cause a lot of like nerve pressure that you're not really aware of or sensitive to but your brain is aware of it and so you are constricted in the kayak, constricted in the dry suit, constricted in the neck gusset, constricted in the arm gussets. Maybe that contributed to the overall, I dropped the kayak, I got the wrong tripod, I, the, my, my roof rack. Cause something has been telling me not to do this today in my back of my head. And, and now it got to the point of do not do this. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Strange, eh? Because that's still one of the mysteries. Nobody really knows what, how or why the brain works sometimes, right? Well, sometimes my brain doesn't work. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that's that's for another yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you if you've ever experienced anything like that, drop us a little line yeah. on Facebook or or uh, at our Paddling Adventures Radio. There's a contact uh, thingy on our paddlingadventuresradio.com page. So there's a little note there, and let us yeah. know if anything like that's ever happened to you, where you've gone out and just panic attack and yeah. just didn't. Maybe next week you know? or the week yeah. after, it'll be story time. Yeah. Story time. <laughs> uh, on to something completely. And now for something completely, completely different. different. Uh, for the past eight summers, a group of indigenous and ally paddlers have launched canoes and kayaks onto the Grand River near Cambridge, Ontario, embarking on a multi-day paddling trip in July that ends on Lake Erie near Port Maitland, Ontario. Event isn't your average gathering of paddling enthusiasts. It's known as Two Row on the Grand. The paddle is performed in recognition of Two Row Wampum, a treaty enacted between the 
Uh, Hoden, I can never say this. Hodenosane. Hodenosane. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, the, and the Dutch in 1613 on Turtle Island, which is North America. The two-row wampum is more than 400-year-old treaty based on a peace, friendship, and respect, says Ellie Joseph, a member of the Mohawk people who was born and raised on the Six Nations Reserve near Brantford, Ontario. I always have problems with that that word. Haudenosaunee. That's the first time I've seen it. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. I've seen it many times, but... The two Rowampum is the first non-paper treaty between indigenous peoples and European settlers, and it was used to inform later uh, to inform later treaties between indigenous peoples and other colonizers. To solidify the two Rowampum, they created a belt of white beads and two purple lines running parallel to one another. White beads represented the water, and the two lines of purple beads represented the Dutch ships and Haudenosaunee canoes traveling together. It symbolizes that both peoples would be considered equal, respecting each other's laws, values, and cultures without interfering in one another's lives. As time unfolded, the treaty faded into history until 2013, when members of the six Haudenosaunee Nations, along with non-Indigenous ally group known as Neighbors of the Onondaga Nation, organized the two Rowampum Renewal Campaign to bring awareness to the treaty. Renewal Campaign featured over 200 Indigenous and non-Indigenous paddlers traversing 225 kilometers of the Hudson River in New York from Albany to New York City. Wow. Yeah, big time. Uh... Ellie Joseph was one of the paddlers on this trip, along with Jay Bailey, a Canadian of Dutch descent, who she'd met while working at the Akawe Canoe Club. Both left the renewal campaign inspired. We paddled in two rows down the Hudson River with the Indigenous side and the Ally side, helping each other, supporting each other, sharing meals, camping together, and in the evening, listening to community cultural gatherings, Ellie says. We came away from this so transformed physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and we thought, why can't we do this? It took a few summers of organizing, but in the summer of 2016, Ellie, Jay, and two other paddlers launched their crafts into the Grand River, embarking on a 10-day paddle from Cambridge to Port Maitland. At the end of the trip, the four paddlers sat in a circle, sharing their insights from the experience. I don't recall who said it out loud, but we turned to each other and they were both and we were both thinking how can we not do this again given the life-changing nature of the whole thing jay says i've always wanted to show my support for indigenous peoples but i've never knew how so this has been a real help ellie and jay performed the paddle again the next summer and the next summer after that each year the number of participants growing through word of mouth eventually the group swelled to 100 all paddling down the Grand in two lines. But Ellie and Jay have since capped the number of paddlers at 75. Now, I've seen pictures of this. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen the pictures. I haven't. But you see this wide river. Yeah. And it's an, an aerial view. And there's two lines. And I guess they're they're probably like 20 feet apart. But two lines of canoes and kayaks just moseying down the river. Yeah. And it's like, and it just seems to go on forever. Hmm. It's really, be it's a really yeah, cool see. picture. Uh, with more than 100 people, it would lack community and intimacy. 
we get too large of a group and people can hide in the group. There may not be much connection. Uh, Ellie says, having a smaller group really helps to nurture that community spirit. And that's what all this is about, right? Yes. The paddle takes a total of 10 days. Participants can either join for the first five days, the last five days, or the full 10. Depending on the day segment, participants can paddle anywhere from 10 to 22 kilometers, occasionally having to portage around dams. The group takes lunch breaks but ends up paddling about three hours each day. In the evenings, the group set up tents at campsites, share meals, and engages in educational seminars. Majority of our speakers are what we call traditional knowledge keepers, Ellie says. They come from our community, and we have many different topics, sometimes talking about the environment, sometimes they're uncovering our history. We've had survivors from the Mohawk Institute that have come and spoken with us about their trauma from residential schools. We do try to balance all these heavy topics out. Sometimes someone will come and perform some of our social songs, and we get people up dancing and moving around and experimenting with our instruments. We've also had lacrosse demonstrations, given people an opportunity to play. It really varies from year to year. That sounds really Yeah, really sounds cool. like a really nice group event. Mm-hmm. Jay adds that they also invite non-Indigenous speakers to their evening sessions who cover topics such as water health on the Grand River and land issues. The entire 10-day trip involves a lot of moving parts, and both Ellie and Jay are still in awe of the support they've received from paddlers and the surrounding communities in particular. Ellie says she's so <clears throat> thankful to her Six Nations community. Not only do they provide financial support, but also volunteers and lend a hand. One of the things I find fascinating is that the people who come on the two-row from Six Nations, I don't see anger for the past. What I see is a desire to repair the relationship, Jay says. I've seen the original two-row wampum on display at Six Nations, and it's badly in need of repair. There are beads missing, there are parts coming off, and I understand that it will be repaired once the relationship between Indigenous peoples and settlers is repaired. It reflects the condition of that relationship. I like that last statement. Holds a lot of weight. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I say, just because, uh, I, I don't know, there's so, I, I don't even know where to start with, with the thoughts I, I have with this project, um, or this event. Um, there are so many indigenous, so much indigenous knowledge out there. Yes. That we don't have access to. Unfortunately, you know? yes. Like... It's hard to repair relationships without knowing the other side. Exactly. You and know? this is this is something that I, I think is a good thing to help bring the two sides together to yeah. to kind of share experiences and and learn from past mistakes and and create a good path forward. Yeah. Um, I wish I can remember the the quote. Um, tradition isn't about living the past. It's about bringing back the wisdom of the past. I like that. Yeah. And this is is it. You know, here's what we used to do. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of bad things that happened in the past. We don't need to relive that. We don't need to um, keep that going. Let's share the positives and the good things. 
And this is the one of the way they're doing it. And they're making each other aware of, 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 you know, the different cultural bits that, Hey, this is what we do. Here's our songs. Here's our games. Here's our, our traditions and that sort of stuff is, Oh, now we, hopefully we can understand this is where the, you guys, they were coming from. Right. And because it's, it's been cut off for so many decades. So yeah, this is a pretty cool uh, thing to check out. But yeah, if you, if you, if you, if you Google the, the two row wampum and you see the pictures on the grand river, just the two long lines of paddlers. It's pretty cool. Yes. I was looking up your, your, I couldn't find the saying that you wanted, but, uh, I did find one that's even, it's similar. It's uh, tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of the fire. That? That works too. We could sit here all day and do this <laughs> for the next hour. So buckle up, people. <laughs> Let's redefine Let's start tradition. Let's head on down to Australia. Australia. Australia, Australia, Australia. Hello, Bruce. <laughs> I think I think I think Monty Python that Bruce was my first introduction to anything Australia. Oh yeah? Hello, Bruce. Hello, Bruce. <laughs> University of Wallabaloo. Mind <laughs> if I call you Bruce? <laughs> yeah. Everything I think, yeah. Between Bugs Bunny and Monty Python, that was yeah. Where <laughs> I learned it a lot. I got a lot of knowledge. <laughs> my my <laughs> world knowledge came from Bugs Bunny yeah. and Monty Python. I know everything I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Carry right. me through life. Right there we go. <laughs> don't, don't tell me climate change. I watch Bugs Bunny. Oh, <laughs> uh, so down in Australia, I felt more. It felt more party than protest as hundreds of people paddled into port of Newcastle on kayak surfboards and pontoons in what organizers hope will be the biggest civil disobedience action in Australia's history. Onshore people stood shoulder to shoulder waving at the protesters who will occupy or who occupied the channel for 30 hours to stop coal exports from leaving Newcastle. But for all its frivolity, the message the organizers rising tide Hope to send to the government is serious. We are doing it to call on the government to tax fossil fuel export profits at 75% and also demand our government stop opening new coal projects, says Zach Schofield, who helped organize the event. Among the paddlers are Australians from across the country who felt the personal toll of the climate crisis. Grant Howard, a coal miner who traveled down from McKay in Queensland to take part of the, in the protest, wants to be a role model for other miners who wish to stand for the climate. I see the need for change, and I want to be a part of it, he says. The Greens leader, Adam Bant, took part on, the, on a kayak, as did the New South Wales Greens MP, Kate Fairman, who appeared to take uh, a while to find her sea legs as she headed out on her team's makeshift green pontoon. People are fed up, Bent says, as he surveyed the water awaiting his turn to paddle out. People voted for climate action. Instead, we've got a government backing more coal and gas. Two-day blockade has the approval of police, so long as they only block the channel for the agreed 30 hours. 
This is not the end. This is just a stepping stone, says Schofield. Next year, we plan on blockading the coal port for at least twice as long. Hmm. So that was the Saturday. Yeah. Then Sunday happened. (laughs) Okay. Two climate change protesters were being fined after taking part in a 30-hour blockade of the world's largest coal port on the weekend. John Worker, 65, and Isaac Leonard, 23, were among more than 100 people charged in connection with the large-scale protest. Remember they were saying that was police, so said okie-dokie. Large-scale protests at Newcastle Harbor. Newcastle local court Monday worker and Leonard pled guilty to operating a vessel so as to interfere with others' use of water. So they were blocking the Mm. ships from leaving. They were charged after staying on the water after a 4 p.m. deadline for legal protesting had passed. So they had a tight window where they could protest. If they so protested. they were allowed thirty hours to yeah. protest. At thirty hours and one minute, they're now in illegal action. The remaining protesters charged over the event will appear in court in January. Five children were also arrested, but were dealt with under the Young Offenders Act. Hmm. Among those arrested was ninety-seven-year-old Reverend Alan Stewart. Whatever happens to me doesn't matter, but what happens to the climate? The climate is going to affect future generations, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and so on, he said. I want them to have the same privileges as we had growing up. Premier Chris Minns said he would prefer people didn't protest at the coal port, but said it was a it was difficult to prevent. These organizers have been conducting this blockade since 2016. It wasn't the first time it was conducted at Newcastle. That's very difficult for New South Wales Police or even the Minister of for Police to front up last week and say, we're banning it. I don't support it. I'd rather it didn't happen. We sold $40 billion worth of coal last billion. year. $40 billion coal industry out of Australia. And we need it if we are going to transition our economy to renewable energies. That's the whole thing is it takes money... To, to make money sort of thing. Yeah, but it also you takes money to convert. You need the money in order to convert stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So we, it's $40 billion worth of coal, so they want the, what the protesters are saying, they should be taxing that. 40, 75%. So $30 billion of that would be taxed. Or it would be a tax. Yeah. That's a lot. Uh, we have to have... Or we want to have a 43% reduction in emissions by 2030, 50% by 2050. We're the only government that has actually come in and done that. Huh. So apparently. Yeah. Um, this is not the first time protesters, because this now seems to be. Now, back in the day, we shouldn't say back in the day. But like Greenpeace Net, they oh, started yes. using their ships yep. and, and yep. stuff like that, right? Now, there's been other protests, even this year, where people are starting to use paddlecraft as blockades. Because mm-hmm. you see a big ship coming and they see a bunch of canoes, kayaks, stand-up paddle yep. boards. They're not just going to ram right through. No, they would ram another ship, but not the kayaks. Uh, a recent canoe protest blocked a ship that was taking weapons to Israel. Oh. And I think it was six or seven... Indigenous canoes okay. were blocking this ship, a container ship that was known to have weapons that were heading to Israel. Hmm. So this is just a, a, a couple of weeks back. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know if this is now the new trend using paddle craft as blockades. Yep. 
or is this just a couple of incidents? But over, yeah. Interesting. It's, that, that was an awful lot of, of canoes and kayaks and stand-up paddle boards and stuff heading out there. and Yeah, 30 hours. Oof. Yeah, it, and it's one of those things. It's like there, there's two sides of that protest coin is uh, you want to get out and get the message out. But as soon as you... As soon as you go too far, like you wonder, are they doing enough? Are they doing enough? Because like they were had a thirty-hour window, and they're allowed to be on the water. They were permitted. They were mm-hmm. allowed. Yada yada yada. But until you get some sort of negative reaction, the public is not going to know or see it. Right. And so, but then do you go too far? So far that it, it turns the public off and says, "I'm not listening to you anymore. You're you're doing idiot stuff and idiot." And it was things. on a weekend too. Yeah. So it's not the middle of the work week. Yeah. Um, so how disruptive was And the it? other thing that gets me, and I've seen this other things, is kids. Hmm. People throwing their kids in okay, the front. so, yeah. You know, we saw that with the whole freedom. Yep. Freedom convoy. Protest convoys mm-hmm. and stuff like that. All of a sudden you got all these little kids that have no clue. No clue. They're, they're only being influenced by their parents or whoever's yeah, organizing. Yeah, I, I don't so go like, for that. Yeah. That turns me right off. They haven't I have, formed their real thoughts yet on the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, my sympathy for your protest dies the yeah. minute I see that sort of thing. As soon as so. you see some seven-year-old out there, it's like, wait yeah. a second. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, apparently, if you've got a couple of hundred friends with Paddlecraft and you want to protest something, yeah. it's the new way. Mm-hmm. It's the 2023-2024 way of protesting. Yeah. Get your Paddlecraft out there, people. You wonder how much Lock you would have heard about it if the, the if those five kids weren't arrested. Like, that kind of grabs your attention. It's like, oh, there's so a couple of protesters stayed too long. Oh, they arrested children. Mm-hmm. Right? Hmm. Interesting. And the reverend, 97-year-old reverend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> so what'd you do this weekend, Grandpa? Got arrested! <laughs> I went to jail. <laughs> I went to jail. <laughs> oh... So let's just stay. The last thing I got here is uh, still in Australia, Murray River. It was a long, quiet 14 days, 23 hours and 33 minutes for Dave Alley as he kayaked the entire 2,287 kilometer or 1,421 mile journey of the Murray River in Australia without even a phone for entertainment. That line, like it makes sense later on, but that line bugged me at first. I was like, wait a sec. Right? <laughs> why are you taking, are you taking what, a what's phone? What's this entertainment thing? For entertainment? Yeah. What, what are yeah, you doing that for? I, I think they just worded it badly. Yeah. Because like he was going to be paddling for a very long period of time and to keep your brain active and keep yourself alert, you need to focus on something. So he's going to focus on podcasts or whatever yeah and uh so okay now it makes sense but <laughs> like i don't know like if, I, if i'm going camping in the woods it's the point is to get away from right yeah but he wasn't doing that no. he has just become the fastest man to kayak the river beating the old record by 19 hours and 12 uh, 25 minutes that's a huge number that's huge but the tip was just Alley and nature. The trip was just Alley and nature. After an incident on day one, saw him lose his phone when the kayak capsized. <laughs> Oops! Unfortunately for me, my phone was in a bracket on the kayak, which snapped off. He said, "I had some audio books and music and podcasts downloaded, <laughs> ready to go to keep me entertained, yeah. and that was gone halfway through day one." 
<laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, I can see why he would have it. You know, be out yeah. there and you, you know, you paddle, paddle, paddle. Yeah. You know, you're not going to just throw on some, yeah. something to listen to. I can focus on Yeah. That. Not on the, on the not, I'm not going to focus on the, on my lower back pain and my shoulder pain from paddling. I'm going to focus on this podcast. Right. <laughs> Allie departed a Brindenbrong Bridge. Bringenbong Bridge. Bringenbrong Bridge. Say that 10 times real fast. Bringenbrong. Bringenbrong Bridge. Hmm. November 1st at 3.08 a.m. arrived in Wellington in South Australia at 2.41 a.m. on November 16th. He accepted a 12-hour penalty for not crossing Lake Alexandrina. 12-hour penalty still beat the record by 18 hours. Right? What? <laughs> Holy cow. And I would, I would have to assume 12 hours is the average yeah. time to paddle it. Yes. Or maybe... Average time plus a couple extra hours. Yeah, to make it worth the penalty. Yeah. Oh, it's going to take me nine hours across. It's a nine-hour penalty. I'll take it. Uh, It was labeled the fastest to complete the journey according to records kept by the Inland Rivers National Marathon Register. He beat the previous record by 19 hours, 25 minutes. Physically, I've pulled up really well, and I'm really happy with how the body is. I'm a little tired. That's the only thing, he said. Good for him. Allie had mapped out his journey ahead of time, but due to different flows, he had to kayak for up to 23 hours what? a day. So you're telling me, and this is where I, I, started, I read to here, and I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> 14 days of 23-hour days. That means over two weeks, you've only got 14 hours of sleep? I know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Uh, the catch I had, unfortunately, was when the team and I arrived down for the start of the journey, the flows were down about a third of what we were hoping for. The flows were low, and I copped headwinds the entire journey. So to compensate for that, I was hoping it would be 15 to 16 hours a day of paddling. But as it turned out, it was mostly around the clock for 15 days to get the oh, job done. Brutal. I can see where you made up the 19 hours. How do you paddle 23 hours a day for two weeks straight <laughs> with one hour yeah. of sleep a day? Mm, Unless you tough. can paddle in your sleep. I could do it. No, I could do it. <laughs> he said his seven crew members who were following along in a, t- uh, in a tinny boat. I think it was tiny. Yeah. Tinny boat kept him motivated. There were highs and lows every day. There'd be periods where I'd be paddling along and conditions would be good. Things would turn quickly and everything would be going against me, but I only had to look at my crew members and the suffering they were going through to keep me out there. That was my motivation. I couldn't let them down. Allie spent about 18 months preparing for the Mammoth Kayak journey, including planning how to structure the days and nights and how he'd make sure the boat had adequate lighting. Oh, yeah, he's doing 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day, apparently. He's got to be well lit. It was a huge logistical exercise and obviously as well as that was building up my mileage in the kayak and getting used to sitting in there for that long, he said. It's pretty tough on the bum to sit down for that long <laughs> yeah, and also build up my distances over a period of time. Doesn't have any long endurance plans in the near future and tends on resting with family for a time being. What's in your future? I'm going to rest. I'm sleeping. <laughs> I'm making up my sleep. 
I, yeah. That's brutal. That's uh, that's tough on the body, mentally and physically. 23 hours a day for two f- straight weeks? I can see why he wanted a podcast. Right? Um, now I can, I can see I it. can see paddling for 15 hours a day. But 15 not, to 16. But not that many days in a row. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see paddling 15, 16 hours yes. for two weeks. But two weeks at 23 Three hours? hours a day? Yeah, that's too much. You need rest. You need some sleep. Hmm. Now, was he drifting in the current and had a couple of cat naps? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Right? So he was still technically on the river going. Yeah. He was just sleeping yeah, on the river. Just sleeping while <laughs> the canoe just took him on its way. Yeek. He was in a, a daze. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's That's... The, the human body can only take so much. Like, physically, you can take a lot, but lack of sleep, mm-hmm. that can cause some damage. I'd like to get more info on that. But I, yeah. I searched for other stuff and didn't find anything hmm. out of out of what they were, you know, the, the common uh, news press release sort of thing. Yeah. But, hmm. Interesting. And the comment about tough on the bum, that's yeah. what I've always thought about, like, these people that are taking these long cross- Atlantic oh, trips yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're they're on the water for like a week straight sort of thing. So like, Cyril said he could stand up on his, yeah, well, his but he Yeah, his is different didn't. though. His is different. Yeah, he, he had a lot of space. But yeah, yeah so if you're doing one of these massive uh, intercontinental paddling trips, it's, uh, yeah. You're, so if you're in a kayak, you can't stand up. You can't move around. No. You're Like you can get out to swim. You but have you, to. You, there's not much else you can do. Yeah. It's not like you can... Hmm. Well, I mean, I've seen people stand up in a kayak, but yeah. you're not standing up long. No, you're not. And the chances not, are you're going it's over. It's not exactly it's not relaxing. No. Hmm. Curious, eh? Curious and curious. <laughs> but still, he's got the record for the Murray River now. Yep. There's a lot of weird things. And see, that's, that's the thing. Is it summer down there now? Yes. So that's... Yeah. Everything's happening down in Australia right mm-hmm. now. Because it's prime paddling season now. Yeah, getting Woo-hoo. into their fire season soon. Well, well, while we're putting our boats away, they're, they're <laughs> taking theirs out of storage. Yeah, exactly. So there's a balance in the world. The number of canoes <laughs> in storage yeah. versus the number of canoes out of storage. So every time somebody in the Northern Hemisphere puts away a boat, someone in the Southern Hemisphere takes one out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my theory and you're welcome to it. It works for me. There you go. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? I do not. You do not? Wow. I never do. Wow. Rarely do. Rarely do. Rarely do. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can, or X. Yeah, it's Twitter. Whatever. You Sky can Dome. download or stream our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio and download or stream all our episodes there. And for the record, Player FM had us at the number one paddling podcast to listen to. Yeah. I want to hear when we're the Last number week. one podcast overall. In the world. <laughs> yeah, it's just Player FM. Yeah, yeah. We're number one with them. We're number one. We're, We're number, number one. one. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.